Welcome to the Second City Hockey Ice Cold Podcast with your hosts, Adam Hess and Robert Zaglinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Second City Hockey Ice Cold Podcast. This is episode five. Uh, I'm your co-host, Robert Zaglinski, joined as always by my fine friend, Adam Hess. Adam, how are we tonight? Pretty okay. Uh, Took a long nap today instead of watching the Bears and then woke up a little later than expected. But uh, so only problem with that is that I have to work early tomorrow morning. So I'm just worried about falling asleep tonight. But otherwise, doing pretty well. Better than last time with the road trip and, and, and not yeah, watching the Bears? Definitely better than that. But not as tired as that. But still, you know, lazy Sunday turned into a little bit too lazy Sunday. Let's get right into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. Let's get right into it. So the recent um, – not too much uh, recent activity with the Blackhawks going on uh, other than the games. I mean, there hasn't been any off-the-ice news. There hasn't been any, like, uh, significant injuries. Uh, since the last podcast, they obviously beat Dallas in OT. They extended that winning streak uh, against the Blues, seven-game winning streak, one in OT on a Panarin goal, and then lost to the Caps in overtime in a game they probably shouldn't have forced in OT. They, they kind of stole a point. Uh, and the winning streak, whatever, that getting back on track is over. I mean, they're still playing relatively well. I think they're right now they're leading the Canadians 1-0, the game that, again, we're, so, we're watching so eloquently as really good Blackhawks fans. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Adam, what did, what did you see? We talked about this week as a uh, – not a measuring stick because this is a stand this – this is a team that considers itself a contender, even if they have – if they're really – bear it forward so there's not really any measuring six games for them anymore but it was a step up in competition with the blues and the caps what did you see i think in the blues game what we saw was a team that you know after getting beaten by them in the first game of the season the hawks kind of um maybe found a little bit more of their stride against a good blues team um it was obviously a good back and forth game the hawks won the um you know the overall um, shot. That's what I'm trying to think of the word. The shot they won. They had more shots on goal. Um, I feel like the, the play was kind of back and forth. Um, and the and Corey Crawford stood on his head. And both teams got good goaltending. And then you know going into a, a three on three overtime like that, the Hawks just kind of let their skills show. Not that the Blues obviously don't have skilled players, but I think the Hawks are built a little more to accentuate that skill. Whereas the Blues kind of, you know, try to accentuate a little more physicality. Um, and so, you know, the three on three environment obviously is going to lend itself to the, the skill teams. So the Hawks were able to take advantage of that and get a win. Um, so, yeah, again, I just think after the Blues kind of, you know, shoved it down the Hawks' throat on night one, where, you know, it was just the Blues were in control the whole time. And even though the Hawks did lead at two separate points of the game, it just never felt secure. And then the Blues end up kind of winning in blowout fashion and it was five to two and it almost didn't feel that close for the Hawks to come back and then do it in St. Louis on the national stage and kind of just stick right with them the whole game and play very even hockey and then take the win in overtime is a big one. Um, and then against the Capitals, like you said, the Hawks kind of were outplayed a little bit in that game. It wasn't exactly close since they wasn't exactly close. The, the Capitals just seemed to have a little bit of the better of the play, the better opportunities, but the Hawks stuck right with them um, at, you know, for a large portion of the game, um, outshot them, and then you know, losing in overtime again. It's the three-on-three. That's the, the, the three-on-three environment is just so wide open that it, you know, even losing in, that, in, the, in overtime at three-on-three is not a huge deal. I mean, you know, an overtime winner, an overtime loss, the only difference there is a point. You know, it's just such a wide open thing that it's almost it just as you know of a toss up as the shootout. Um, so yeah, but playing well against good competition has been very good for them. Um, a lot of people, especially like within the stats community, have kind of been knocking the Hawks, saying they're not as good as their points say because they've you know have a very high PDO, so they've gotten very lucky. Um, Corey Crawford right now is having a season that if he continues this throughout the whole year, very well could be the greatest goaltending season of all time. And those words are not hyperbole that come from me. Uh, actually, if you don't follow Nick Mercadante from Blue Shirt Banter, he's probably the go-to uh, authority of, 
I guess if that's a good word on goalie uh, statistics and he, his studying of goalies and the in-depth stats that he has for goaltenders is incredible. And he, he said that the other day on Twitter, which kind of blew my mind. So Crawford's having an all-time season. It's going to be real important um, for the Hawks to kind of – it's going to be important for the Hawks that he continues to play that well. Um, But it's also going to be important for them to not lean on him too much and try to step up in in other areas. And so, yeah, the Hawks um, are going to – if they start getting more production from those – the top six and can, you know, start generating a little more offense, then they should be looking pretty good. Um, Again, even if they don't remain one of the top teams in the NHL – remaining in that playoff picture and once you get to April pretty much anything can happen yeah I wanted to note that um the Hawks haven't like you said they're not it's been mostly on the back of Corey Crawford along with some timely goal scoring and two people prevalent in the Hawks community so Sam Fells of Faxes from Uncle Dale and Mark Lazarus of the Sun-Times both noted that the West really isn't that strong so it kind of doesn't matter if the Hawks have taken a step back with their depth or if they still aren't there yet because there hasn't really been another quote-unquote juggernaut to emerge to make them pay for that, and they've been taking advantage in that respect. I mean, you look at last year's um, you look at last year's Western Conference representative, the Sharks, not playing at the level they were uh, come last spring. Uh, the Canes are plodding around. The Ducks are plodding around. These are points they made, and this is very they're both very relevant. Um, the, the Preds are starting to gain their stride, but we're struggling for most of October and for the first few days of November. Um, the Blues seem to be in pieces. It's just, uh, I mean, it's kind of broken the Hawks' way, I guess, to where they don't need to be at that level yet. I, I think would be, I, I think that's the most accurate to put it. Yeah, I think that they've gotten a little lucky in that same kind of sense where, you know, like you said, it hasn't had to go their way. They have they haven't had to dominate play. They've you know they've had a goaltender who really has risen to the occasion, and I think that's kind of the most impressive thing about Corey Crawford to me is the way that what like even last year the Hawks necessarily were not a bad team last year. Obviously, they weren't the dominant kind of team we had come to expect, and I think we're kind of seeing more of the same this year. But last year was Corey Crawford's best year of his career, and now in a season when the Hawks are in arguably a worse position in terms of looking at you know the roster depth and how they have played so far. I would, again, I'm not saying they've played poorly, um, but Corey Crawford kind of looks at it, and he says, like, you know what? Like, I need, like, if we're going to be a championship team, I need to step up. And he's outplaying every other goaltender in the NHL. I mean, and seriously, he, it, even though he lost the game, he outplayed Braden Holpe. And tonight he's not having to play Carey Price. But, uh, you know, putting, when you put him in that stage, he steps up, and he plays super well. And that's, that's the mark of not just – like, again, it, it's, it's a cliche kind of thing, but that's, that's like the kind of goalie that you want to have behind you. You don't want a goalie that, you know, when the, the going gets rough, all of a sudden their play dips too. He's stepping up. He's, you know, taking – basically taking command of this team and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to step up for you guys so that you can, you know, catch, catch me up later. You know what I mean? It's going to come around for him where he's going – like, he's not – as much as we'd like to hope – it's unrealistic to expect him to play at this level all season long. So when he, when his play does dip, it's going to be on the Hawks' ass, the rest of the, this team, the offense, the defense, to step up and score goals to overcome the bad goals that he'll he'll eventually give up. And so so far, what he's shown is that he is that's the kind of goalie you want behind you. And then also that's kind of the mark of a champion is to step up in those big moments. And that's why Corey Crawford has two Stanley Cups. It's no coincidence there, even though you know what, in twenty third. Corey Crawford can win a cup. He's never won a cup. Right. That's what, that's what I was about to get to was that even though in 2013 people said, oh, is Corey Crawford the worst goalie to ever win a cup? And even that, that year, he should have been the damn Con Smythe. It was ridiculous that he wasn't. And then 2015, even though he got, you know, had a terrible start to that Nashville series and got pulled um, in favor of Scott Darling in that Nashville series, when he returned to the for the final game of the National Series, when he returned for the rest of the Stanley Cup, again, best goaltender in the tournament in, in those playoffs. So he has cemented himself among the elite goalies in the NHL this year. I think that he, you know, depending on where you view Henrik Lundqvist, Crawford is either number three or number four in the NHL um, because it's gonna you're gonna have Holpe and Price and Crawford and Lundqvist all in that 
conversation. They're the, those are the top four in the league right now. And Crawford is Crawford right now at this moment, at least, you know, and maybe not overall, but in this moment has put himself on the top of that list. And so he's definitely right. Yeah. He's definitely stepping up and that's been important for the Hawks. All right. Well for Crawford and the Hawks, because the annual circus trip is coming up, Adam. And so this is typically the the time of the year where the Blackhawks are away from the families for two two weeks or so, two and a half weeks or so. Um, as cliche as it is, it, it's uh, I'm looking back at the previous uh, marks in the schedule, and it's been a toe setter for them. Like last year, they were three and three, and it kind of reflected more or less how their season was. They had some struggles with teams they could have beaten uh, in the year, the season before that, in the 2014-2015 Cup season. They took five of seven games. And then before that, they took six of seven games. So um, it's this is now this isn't going to be reflective of how they're going to be playing come the time of year where they actually have to win games regularly in spring. But it's a nice test for them to grow some team unity. A lot of the young new guys. Uh, what are our expectations here? I mean, can you kind of repeat that? Like <laughs> I don't know. Like I heard the setup, but then I was confused by like what you were getting at. Okay, so the circus trip is kind of like, in my mind, it's like it's it's like a tone setter for the for the season. It's like it's like a way for them to gain unity because they're on the road for at least I mean the next two two weeks, two and a half weeks. Uh, not not necessarily a tough schedule at Winnipeg, at Calgary, at Vancouver, at Edmonton, San Jose, and then you always finish up with Anaheim and LA over Thanksgiving weekend. But it's important, and it's another point bid. It's something that they tip, uh, that they typically do well in. What are our expectations this year? Uh, sure. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, All yeah. right. So, um, in terms of expectations, I think it's best with the circus trip, like you said before. That you know they kind of typically, I feel like they go three and three on the circus trip every time. They typically play nope. six games, and they almost always feel like they're three and three. And I feel like if they could just walk out of the circus trip five hundred which means basically going three and three, or if you want to look at going two, two and two as 500, because you're still getting, you know, basically half of the points available to you kind of, um, then that would be a success as well. Um, But they're also playing seven games this time. So it's kind of hard to go exactly 500, but I think basically if they, if they can get three or four wins, um, I'm fine with it. Again, it's, it's a tough road trip and, you know, you say not too tough of a schedule, but, you know, like the the Jets are a division opponent, and you know as much as they're not the best team in the Central, they're still a tough divisional opponent that know the Hawks well, play the Hawks well typically. Um, so that's that could end up being a tough one. Vancouver, obviously, um, not as much, not as worried about that. They're pretty much the worst team in the NHL. Um, then you go to Calgary, who the Hawks have beaten twice so far this year, but that's also two looks Calgary has gotten, and this is the first time that they're playing in Calgary. So maybe Calgary kind of steps up. Edmonton, it seems like a circus trip every year when the Hawks go to Edmonton, they either win a tight game or get absolutely blown out. And Edmonton has proven this year that they are for real. Um, I'm really excited to watch the Blackhawks play Connor McDavid. Not so excited to watch Connor McDavid dominate the Blackhawks because mm. that's just kind of what he does. It's not that's not a knock on the Blackhawks. That is just like he's on the ice. Oh, he's got. Look, oh look, Connor McDavid oh, look, has the puck he's, and he's skating go, oh. past everybody. Yeah. Oh look. Oh, there's McDavid, and he has the puck, and he's around everybody again. And, oh, look, oh, he scored. He oh, again. okay. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah it, and it all happens before you can look at it. So that'll be fun, at least to watch him. Um, but, again, I think – and then, you know, and then closing it out in California, um, who, the you know, the Hawks beat the Kings already. Uh, they haven't gotten a look at the Sharks or Ducks, but the Sharks are, you know, probably still the best team in the West this year. So, again, I think if they can get three or four wins out of it, I'll be fine with it. Um, and you know, again, it's like we said before, while it's too early to talk about the playoff picture, um, it's important to get these points early. So if the Hawks can walk out of, you know, there's 14 points available to you. If you can go and it's all road trips, it's all road games. That's that's a tough schedule. So if you can get half of those 14 points, if you can get seven of them, I think you look at that as like a small victory and then so that that's your goal you want seven points and then you see if you can get more and after that every single point is just kind of gravy especially because on the on the road you kind of you kind of just want to win half your road games in the nhl season anyway so if you can win half of these games throughout this this road trip i think you'll be good to go 
Yeah, and I think I agree with all of that, and I think it's a good marker too because people have kind of discounted how uh, well. It's not that they, they they shouldn't discount it, but a lot of the opening schedule has been pretty home heavy, so um, they might not have the best success on this trip. But I want to see them kind of respond to adversity and sort of and see how they play in these tougher environments that aren't suited for them, like the UC. Uh, you know, the, the, this heavy home schedule has kind of allowed them to. The, 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 whole, the whole season as a whole has, has been a pleasant surprise at this point and has allowed them to vault up to the top of the Western standings. I want to see now how they react when they don't have a crowd behind them because, you know, the, and this is still like, – like we've discussed so many times before in the, in the previous episodes. I mean, they have like six new starters, four really young guys playing in the lineup. Uh, this is that first true test. Uh, okay, yeah, so- and – and I oh, think, ahead, you know, again, I just, I think that the, the, the schedule kind of favors them a little bit here where they only, I mean, they have two back-to-backs, but um, they, it's against Calgary, Vancouver, which is, again, Calgary might play them really well, but Vancouver is a favorable matchup on the back end of that one. And you have two days off before it. And then Anaheim and Los Angeles, obviously those games are a little more of a, a question mark because you're not really sure. You know, Anaheim and Los Angeles are teams that typically have been pretty good. Obviously the Kings aren't quite there anymore. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of the Ducks, so I'm not sure what's going on. But uh, Randy Carlisle is their coach, so how good can they really be? Um, so we'll just see, we'll kind of see. I think, but again, I think they won a cup with them once, right? I think getting three three wins is a victory, and like it's a good start. And then you, you just hope for more than that, I guess. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so there was some Saturday news uh, earlier this week. Brian Bickle, a uh, man uh, who had two pretty good postseasons here, uh, one led to a cup, one didn't. Or, and then, rather, he won two cups here, but in terms of where he contributed significantly, good person, really active in Chicago's um, hockey community and with the team and a really good teammate, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, uh, debilitating nerve disease. Um, and it kind of sheds a light overall on – I don't know, the past few or so years of fans and pundits demonizing him for his contract. And, man, he didn't really know either, to be fair. No one knew uh, over at times where it seemed like he, he wasn't all in the game mentally or in general. And um, I don't know. I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel bad about it now in all the hindsight because this is going to be a battle for him. And, and I hope he and his family – uh, are able to push through it and, and uh, persevere as best as they can, but you know th- th- that lingers on my conscience as like a, as like a person. Sure. Um. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, obviously, um, thoughts and prayers are going to the Bickle family. That's a, a terrible thing to have to deal with. Um. And obviously, and I'm sure you know they're scared, confused, all, all at the same time. Um. And then. I think maybe even in some ways relieved to finally kind of have an answer to all the health issues that he's had in the past couple of years, because it's just been a kind of ongoing, you know what I mean? Like even though it's right. Even though it's such a terrible answer, you kind of, maybe you kind of look at it and go, okay, well at least we have something, you know what I mean? You at least have a stepping stone to figure out, to like to build towards like getting better. Um, And you know, so yeah, you feel terrible for him, but I, this is the part where, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bad person or something, I don't know, but I don't really feel that bad about criticizing Brian Bickle's play or contract. Now, like, you know, even with the hindsight now of knowing that he does have multiple sclerosis because, for, like you said, first of all, Brian Bickle didn't know. So how, you know, how am I supposed to, you know, be like, oh, well, wow, I'm such a piece of shit. I didn't know he had multiple sclerosis and I was talking about how bad his play was. like. Okay, that's he didn't even know. So how? Like, I don't think Brian Bickle's going to hold that against me. And then secondarily, I wasn't criticizing Brian Bickle and going, "LOL, you're always sick. That's why you suck." Like, no. If, yeah. if I was making fun, if I was making fun of his health issues and that's why he sucked, then I'm a real piece of shit. And I and that that's and then I'd feel horrible maybe, or I probably would be if if I was that kind of person, I probably wouldn't feel bad because that's probably the shitty kind of human being that I would be. Um, but Good, Again, good, good rationalization. That, good rationalization. Right. I think it just. I think it just came. It comes down to the fact that no one. I really don't think anyone was ever criticizing Brian Bickle the person. No one was criticizing Brian Bickle 
the you know the I'm trying to like the, the health patient. No one was criticizing Brian Bickle for who he is. Everyone was just criticizing Brian Bickle because he had a big contract and was not playing up to it. And that was that's the end of it. You know what I mean? Like that's a full stop. It's it's Brian Bickle was making four million dollars and playing like he should have made less than a million. That that's where the issue comes in. And even I don't honestly I don't even feel like there was a whole lot of critic like critics criticizing that's the word i was trying i was going to say criticization and that's not a word i don't feel like there was a lot of right i don't think there was a, that much criticizing straight up of bickle overall as much just kind of like bitching and complaining about the contract like wow that is such a shitty contract for such a bad player no one was ever like oh bickle fucking sucks everyone was just like well bickle's not that great and that contract sucks and that's really unfortunate that was the that was really the heart of the issue and yeah maybe it looks kind of bad that the hawks you know, he has all these health issues and the Hawks trade him because they need the cap relief. That really sucks. But that's also the reality of a cap world. The, uh, a, a hard salary cap world turns players into commodities. It removes the person, the, the personhood of, of a player when they have the a number of cats to them. Right, yeah. That, that, that's, maybe that's a better place. It <laughs> removes, kind of takes the humanity out of it because you have you, – this player is assigned a number – and that number is part of, you know, a bigger number, and it, it can only be so much of it. And if it's too much, and it's and they're not playing up to that level to be worthy of that much, you just get rid of them because that all they are is a commodity at this point. And so that really sucks that the Hawks kind of had to do that with Brian Bickle. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, may, I don't know. Maybe again, like I said, maybe I'm not a great human being. Maybe I um, just lack empathy or something but i really don't feel that bad for having criticized brian bickle when he was here because again i wasn't criticizing him as a person i was criticizing his play and his contract and it was strictly that again i think bickle's a great person he's done a lot of good in the community and again i feel horrible that this is the situation he found he has found himself in and prayers are going out to him for sure but you know i think you know if you feel bad that's a it's a good thing obviously it's because you you know feel like you have done some sort of slight and now have sympathy. But again, I don't think that that's necessarily necessary, necessarily necessary. I don't think that that's necessary. really necessary. No. Just, just because people like, I don't think any, if you made it personal about Brian Bickle, then you can feel bad. But for me, I never made it personal. I really don't like from what I saw of you, you never made it personal. So I don't think that there's really room to feel a whole lot of guilt as much as there is just to sympathize with him and, you know, hope he gets better. Yeah, like it was like we said, it was a lot of it was hindsight, and that's what makes me more or less regret, not necessarily regret, but like just hate. Like you, like you were mentioning how the salary cap makes us do this. How it's so, and I sound like a I sound like a bitter Blackhawks fan in saying this, but it just makes us like demonize players who are, um, you know, not necessarily performing up to their level, and then this is just awful icing on the cake in that respect you know and i mean i wish it was better i wish that i wish the league in, in, in that sense would be able to make more merchandise I, w- I wish in that sense the blackhawks had had never put that I, I think a lot of his play within his time here wasn't necessarily also limited to his disease it was also a lot of i always thought pressure in that respect too so that he couldn't live up to especially once all of the conversation started mounting um and it's sad though. It's sad though. Like at, at at most, let's just let's just hope he can continue or he can start this fight well, and then his family and then his family support will help him well to really move forward as a person and possibly even continue his career because um, he's recent stories have said that he's not nece- he's not necessarily done as an NHL player. He's not giving up his prospects as an NHL player. So um, we have that to look forward to, I guess though. Okay, so now Absolutely. we have Sarah Hall joining us of Five for Howling, the Arizona Coyotes SB Nation blog. Sarah, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you guys? Great, great. Um, Doing pretty so, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have something important you want to discuss, but let's just talk a little Coyotes first. They yeah. are they, they are currently last in the Western Conference, um, experiencing a little, 
I mean, a, a teensy bit growing pains. Is, was that was that fair to say? A really young team. Uh, what's going on? Well, when eight or nine of your players are either first or second year players, you're going to expect some growing pains. Yeah. Um, John Shaika was on, kind of trying to calm the masses. Um, a couple games ago on TV, and he's like, we really like the progress of what we have. You have the young guys starting to make the lineup. They brought up Anthony D'Angelo when Michael Stone was injured. So Luke Shen is no longer anchoring Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> um, you've got kind of a line blender thing going on right now, just trying to find what works, but you have Martin Hansel out. Then you have Louis Domingue, standing on his head every night because Mike Smith is injured. So basically everything went wrong in the second game of the season. Uh, so are there any, I mean, this is that this is so you, what, what I'm gauging that this isn't necessarily unexpected, but are there any bright spots? I mean, there's of course Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, are, is there anything that's gone well? Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin. So I got to interview him before they even made the last cuts. And this kid was so good during the preseason. And then Michael Stone, no, not Michael Stone, Kevin Connaughton got hurt. And now Connaughton can't make the lineup because this 18-year-old defenseman is your best defenseman behind Oliver ekman Larson. Um, the kids are doing okay. Uh, Dvorak is actually very good defensively. Um, a lot of people are kind of surprised about that. I'm like, Max played the same system. You shouldn't be surprised. What's kind of worrying me is Duclair and Domi are both not able to really produce anything right now. But that's because their center that they were used to, Hansel, he's out, but he should be back on Wednesday. Okay. And Strom, well, we're all just kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. Yeah, I drafted him for both my fantasy teams, and he's dragging, and I had to release him today. And I felt really bad about <laughs> that because he's not doing anything. He's really not doing anything. He's mostly in the press box. Yeah, that's what I noticed. Like, he, he wasn't even – I had him – I put him in the starting lineup as soon as I start, as I saw that they activated him, and then he's – Still not producing, so that's he's not necessarily ready yet. I'm assuming, right? Like you said, yeah, it's a lot of um, like he was playing with Duclair, and oh, what game was it? It was the Nashville game, and they had they could have had two or three goals each, mm -hmm. but they're just not. Something's not clicking. And then he caused a major turnover that caused the Sharks to score first. And it was a really bad neutral zone turnover. And it's just, you can tell that he's 19. You can tell he's young. They're still working with him on trying to get him back to, trying to get him to what they need him to be, which is a replacement for Martin Hansel. But they have also, they have Clayton Keller in um, at BU who is hurt for the long term with a lower body injury. It's not season ending, but it's still pretty bad. He could come in and take the one C spot from uh, Dylan Strom. Cause that's what they're trying for him to be. And Keller is ridiculous. He's small, very, very small. Patrick Kane sized as a center. Patrick. Okay. So, but, does he have that same kind of ability or not? He has, yes, he's very skilled. That's why they drafted him at seven instead of Chikrin. Okay. He, okay. He uh, broke Kane and Kessel's uh, scoring records for um, the U18s when he was in the um, development league, U.S. development team. So that's pretty. That's pretty decent. I. I mean, that's that's okay. I think, I think okay. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned Jacob Chikrin's uh, good play. Um, he was one of my favorite prospects um, in the draft um, just because I kind of – it's kind of funny. I kind of discovered him because of the NHL video games. He was, like, one of the top-rated prospects if you did, like, the NHL 16. Mm -hmm. And if you, like, tanked, he was, like, always the second overall pick. 
and he was and he turned into a great defenseman. So what have you? And so because of that, I got interested in watching him play and be like, hey, is this guy really actually good? And I thought he was phenomenal. So what have you seen from him? And like, what kind of encouraging things have you seen out of Jacob Chikrin that kind of make him seem like you know the well have turned him into their number two defenseman? And kind of you know, do you see him kind of as like even though Oliver Ekman Larson's still going to be there for a while on the one C, do you kind of see him as that kind of you know? future of the blue line as well along with Ackman Larson with with Chikrin um I was talking to someone um within the organization about it and Oliver Ekman Larson when he was drafted was like six foot 170 hmm. Jacob Chikrin is 18 6 2 10 ish so they would have kept Oliver with the team at 18 if he had weighed more than a twig um, the skill level is there. You can see the same type of way he thinks the game. It is very much the way that OAL thinks. It's kind of fascinating to watch. Um, he's great on the penalty kill. They've used, he's playing about 20 minutes a night. And he was second pair defenseman there when everything got um, turned around when Stone got hurt in the second Flyers game. So he was playing second pair with Connor Murphy, which kind of made everyone very uneasy um, because they're still trying to find that perfect right fit for Oliver. And it was not Alex Goligoski. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Chikrin, I think if he can start to um, get everything together, he could be a dark horse Calder candidate. That's pretty high praise. Um, are there any other... Coyotes prospects kind of um, budding out of the roots that can kind of contend for this roster spot. Uh, maybe not this year, but obviously next year. Um, and maybe, you know, as they, as they continue to progress, these young players kind of turn this team into a contender. Um, down in the, currently the baby coyotes or the, the Roadrunners, the baby coyotes, uh, the Roadrunners, they are currently first in the AHL. Um, in the back end on goaltending, they have Aiden Hill, who is going to be Mike Smith's replacement. Um, Louis, he has shown that under pressure, he cracks. Um, but that is also, he played 27 of 29 games towards the end of the year last year. So they're not quite sure if it was him cracking or if it was just the workload getting to him. Hill is 20 and he has a very good save percentage in the AHL. I am really hoping they don't push his um, development because that's been a big problem for the Coyotes since the end of the Gretzky era into now. Um, if you look who has been drafted, the only there's two players drafted left who are drafted during the Gretzky era, and that is Martin Hansel and Michael Stone. That's pretty much an entire overhaul then. I mean, basically, basically, um, okay. down in, down in Tucson, you have Christian Fisher. He's a right wing, very intelligent. They were able to send him down at 19 because he was drafted out of the U S national development program. And, um, Windsor is so mad that he's not coming back. Um, Brendan Perlini is actually very, doing very well at the AHL, and we were all very worried because during camps, he has been atrocious. Um, he's a winger. We have Michael Bunting, Connor Garland. They're the feisty type of The grit wings. guys. The grit guys. The, the grit. Um, I would prefer having them in the lineup over Ryan White, but that is a whole other issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, you want to get but, the top guys rolling first, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, I do. and But I think if the Roadrunners can keep going the way they are, they haven't lost in regulation yet. <laughs> so it's that's kind encouraging. of... That's encouraging. <laughs> I guess that's okay. Again, like, that's that's not... I mean, that's, that, that, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It, it's okay. I mean, they're... But it's kind of to the point where you'll, I'll, I need to go down to Tucson and watch the games, uh, watch one of the games with the kids. But the team is literally half the team, the Coyotes, half the team is under 25, 25 and under. 
The other half is 26 and older. And if you take out Shane Doan, it's like 25 because <laughs> he's 40. Yeah. Right, yeah. And <laughs> he's finally slowed down. I think this might be it for him. Okay, so uh, what is the general feeling as to when – because there are a lot of people that feel this way – as to when the Coyotes will own the West. A lot of people feel that they eventually will, that it's only a matter of time that even despite their early struggles and growing pains like we've discussed, that they are well on their way with all of the players they have and are developing. What is the general sense? To uh... – to make the playoffs probably next year um, once they get in some of the newer kids get out some of the rust um, see what happens with the uh, expansion draft too a lot of people are predicting that brad richardson's going to get yanked because he'll be he's actually a fairly good center use him for your third or fourth line and just kind of surround him with better players but he's one of the top face-off guys that we have. And last year was one of the top face-off guys in the league. Um, the Coyotes are basically top in face-offs last year. Um, <laughs> in two or three years, you could see them really getting far into the playoffs. Four or five, you're looking at his cup run. And potentially getting it, because that will be when Ekman Larson's hitting his peak. Domi, Duclair, all those all the young kids will start to be hitting their peaks and hopefully we'll have a franchise center at the time. Okay. And Dylan Strom. And Dylan Strom. <laughs> okay. So partly or the biggest reason we had you on, you really wanted to discuss this uh, just for a background. And then we can talk with you about this, Sarah. Um, Sarah wrote a piece about, uh, it was it was against fighting in the NHL, correct? The comment that started everything is, I didn't understand why Ryan White was still in our lineup. Um, and I got this horrific comment from a guy. Everyone's like, just ignore it. It's just a troll. Well, women writers get harassed every day. And so I wrote about how tired I am about... It's not about having thick skin. It's not about this. We should be treated the same as the male writers. And oh, the common sections turned into a tire fire. <laughs> because a lot of people are like, this is something that shouldn't be discussed on a hockey thing. I'm like, okay, look. I know I don't get more clicks on what I write because I'm a woman. And you can see it from how everything turns out. And it's to the point where I am pitching a longer piece about how hockey, how women who write in hockey are harassed every day. I have friends who get butt actually to mansplain to every day, and the guy who's doing it is wrong. And they're just like, what are you doing? Or they're threatened, or they get nasty emails every day. And that is something that is not acceptable. But in, in the culture of hockey blogging, no one is really tackling it. I think. And, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And I'm just kind of, a lot of us are very, very tired. And I threw up a tweet today, and the response has been kind of staggering on who has been, how many people have been harassed or are harassed every day. I think it's not just limited to hockey, too, and that's and that's what's the real shame. I think it's across all of sports media where a, women's voices just aren't as respected as male voices in, in whatever venue, from hockey to football to soccer, whatever. I see it all the time. Obviously, I've never experienced the kind of harassment that you've experienced or anyone else that's responded to your tweet or, or, or your pitch that has come my way, but I still, you know, I see it, and... I mean, it's disheartening. It's it's really disheartening, and I'm not sure how to fix it, Sarah. I'm not sure how to fix I it. I don't know. I don't know if there is a way to fix it. It's going. It's an inherent problem that is within just kind of the coding of all of the writing. You look at uh, Julie DeCaro, 
and what she deals with on a daily basis. And I know it's not just sports with her, but that is not acceptable. Um, just, you can't, there needs to be a culture change. You have to realize that there are a lot of women in this league who write, I know it kind of goes throughout the, all the sports, but what I have encountered. Yeah, is, through your experience. Mm -hmm. Through my experience with the women who write hockey, it's a lot of, you don't know what you're talking about how, or you get talked down to every single time. And there just needs to be a change in the culture where they start to realize that, okay, this woman does know what she's talking about. Okay, maybe we can have an actual conversation instead of calling her horrible things on the internet and then sticking all of your friends on them. Um, it's almost like you don't know how it's how or if it's going to change. And if I can just make a little notch in what's happening, I would really prefer things go start to go better, especially after how the election is gone. Yeah, it seems to be like a lot of the people that throw those insults and that harassment that way are the same people that think are are the, are the stick to sports crowd in, in that respect? Um, the, that they, they don't mix whatsoever, and it kind of extends that way. I have been told recently four or four times to uh, stop using the sex card because people don't like your writing, and I'm like, a gender, <laughs> yeah. B, you don't know what you're talking about, or I don't come here to read about social justice stuff. I just want to read about hockey. Well, this is a part of the culture and this is a problem and my editor backs me 100% when I'm writing this and I'm like right if you have a I problem think, sorry go ahead I'm like if you have a problem go to my managing editor right and also it's like if you come here to read about hockey stuff and don't want to read this then unfollow like that's yeah. that's the way I look at it a lot of times if, if, if people are like oh well I don't want to you know oh stick to sports well if you want to if you want me to stick to sports find someone who will actually do that like if you want if you if you want your timeline to be only sports, then only follow the sports people. But people forget that hockey writers that that's not their whole life. <laughs> like just because you write about hockey too. sometimes, right? Does just because you write about hockey sometimes doesn't mean that your whole life is supposed to. Every single tweet is supposed to be about hockey. Every single thought you have is about hockey. Like no, you're a human being. You have you know thoughts and fears and you know in uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, Shit, emotions? I lost it. Emotions. Not emotions, but I was thinking like things that you're self-conscious about. So what's yes. the word there? Yeah. Well, and it's like I Yeah, wrote, anyway, yeah. This that kind of, you know, every, we all have those things. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's like I'm very open about it on my Twitter that I have a massive anxiety disorder. And so that gets thrown in a lot of the time. Um or complaining about your day job. Like that hockey Hockey Twitter is this weird mix of people who do this for fun versus people who do this to get paid. And then there was the whole fight between when the ice garden and it was women going against women. When the ice garden launched a lot of uh, a site. SB Nation's women's blog. Just, yes. just Sorry. Uh, SB Nation's women's uh, hockey blog, which is amazing. Go check it out. Um, but people were mad that they weren't paying their staff. And so many of us went, we don't do this to get paid. We do this because we love hockey. If we happen to get paid in the end, that's great. But that's not the main point of why we're writing about hockey. And I know the women's site, they're not getting the views that, you know, like pension plan puppets and all those get. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's growing, and bless Hannah, uh, she is their managing site edit the editor. Hannah Bevis, the editor. Mm -hmm. Yes, which awesome, awesome girl. Um, but it's starting to kind of get to the point where there's going to be a shift, and there's a lot more women writing about sports, and this harassment just needs to stop. And if it if it means just writing about it over and over ad, ad nauseum and no one 
until something changes, but just hitting with a blunt object over and over until until they submit, basically. Like, and, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to paint that like negatively. Like, no, like, no, no. Just, no, I, like, just keep no, going and going, going and going. But when you're writing for a league that tends to lean like they don't care about women, there that's where you start to hit off into different directions, and that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. But it's hard to be a women's hockey fan. But it's even harder to be a women's hockey writer. Like, it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want, again, not to dive too much into that conversation. I think it's a lot, it's really reflective of all these leagues and how they don't really care about these issues. Yeah. But we need to collectively do better and collectively, you know, as I just said, hit over the blunt object and keep it, keep the conversation coming, keep it like saying that this isn't okay. I mean, that's in, in best respects. And I don't want to say this, like, um, what's the word for it? That that it's that it's submissive like that. We this is the only thing we can do, but it's it is kind of the best thing we can do in yes. that respect. I mean, just continuing the conversation over and over. It's if you can change one person's mind or open their eyes, one person's mind, you could open. They could talk to somebody, and their friend group could change. And it's just it's going to take a grassroots, slow effort because that's all we have. There's not going to be just one day magically, okay, all women writers are respected. It's not going to happen. Um, but it, it is encouraging when you have, like, Katie Nolan getting her own TV show, her own show on Fox Sports. Um, it's That's very encouraging. Or you have women's hockey leagues now, one that's professional, uh, ones that's paid. And uh, you have the NWHL and the CWHL. It's... Things are starting to change. It's just, it's going to take a while. I just want to be part of the change. All right. Well, Sarah, seriously, thank you for coming on, bringing light to this, and, you know, pushing that forward as best as you can. Um, we'll see that piece, I assume, on Five for Howling and then in general on Twitter. Right. Um, I'm. I pitched it uh, for the main SB Nation hockey, um, so it may go main page. If not, it will definitely be on Five for Howling. Okay. Awesome. Um, Adam, do you have any more? Uh, any other words for Sarah? No. Just again, like what Robert said. Thank you for fighting that fight and for enduring that harassment. I know it's not easy, but you know we're. You know even us as male hockey writers are made better by seeing the perseverance that, you know, women hockey writers go through. And so you're a good example of that and that you're fighting through the harassment and not putting up with the bullshit and saying that, you know, you're here to be more than just a hockey writer and you're not going to stick to sports. You're going to talk about these hard issues. And I know that that's difficult, um, especially like we mentioned, when you deal with things like anxiety and depression and other things and cause you, and you are a human being, but uh, it's an inspiring thing to see you do that. So thanks for being a champion for that. And, um, you know, I think as men, we kind of have to be, it kind of makes me feel like I want to be part of this problem solution as well by just saying, Hey, this shit is unacceptable. <laughs> just whenever you see something, just either don't step in and try to correct the person that the yeah, don't well, fan the fire. Don't fan, don't the, fan fire. the fire because she'll get pissed off <laughs> more at you for trying to help. Um, I have a friend who gets it on a daily basis, and she has she's just like whatever, and just totally goes through and rips what he told her. And so it's just if you see something a little later on, just kind of after it's been disconnected, tweet the off, tweet that person. Me go hey saw this, I'm behind you. If you ever need anything, just let me know. Having a little bit of support within the writing community, since sometimes it is very... Uh, Disconnected? Yeah. Um, like, teams are teams, and that's it. Especially when you're working SP Nation-wise sometimes. Um, but just let, know, let them know that you have their back, 
and talk about it. Absolutely. Like uh, you, oh, go ahead. Bring it up. Um, don't be condescending about it or anything. Just bring up, hey, going after women who write is not cool. And it might, it might help. It might not. But just little things. We have to fight our own fight, but having allies is a good thing. Note all these messages, guys. Sarah is a wonderful person, a growing writer. Um, you'll be noticing more of her and, in general, a growing woman community in, in hockey and in sports in general. Uh, you can follow Sarah at Sarah Howling on Twitter. That's correct, right? Yes. And at Five for Howling, F-I-V-E for Howling on Twitter, who the website she writes for about the Coyotes as she notes their future Stanley Cup runs. Fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed. Uh, their future Stanley Cup runs. Sarah, again, thank you so much for coming on, for championing this, like Adam said. Um, we appreciate you. We notice what you go through, and you, you have our support as, as well as many others, as, many, as tough as it is sometimes. Really, no, seriously, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and I just want to plug, um, I do have a, a podcast as well um, that we are sponsoring on, All right. five for, on Five for Howling this year, um, AZ Dentalk. Uh, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we have been on a bit of a hiatus because it has been such a crazy couple months for myself and my uh, recording partner, Liz. But we are starting next week, and we are going to have a special guest, and we're going to kind of talk about some heavy stuff. Check that out, guys. That is the AZ Den Talk on Five for Howling. Uh, and overall, this has been the Second City Hockey Ice Cold podcast. Follow us on Twitter at SCA or at Ice Cold Podcast. Follow Adam at on Twitter at underscore Adam Hess. Me at Robert Zablinski. And follow all of our work at Second City Hockey at 2ND City Hockey. Um, as we get the things rolling, as we have these kinds of important conversations, and just in general, um, stay classy, everyone. I mean, there's not really much else to say. Stay classy. <laughs>